If you would take your Bible this morning and turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. In the days ahead, we're going to be working our way through this little book of four chapters, packed with a lot of good truth for us. Titus chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the title of the message this morning is Privileged Servants of the Lord. Taken from verse 1, Servant of God. So let's look into the Word. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to look into your Word, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, Help us to rightly divide thy truth and make application to our own lives for our good and thy glory. Lord, we pray as any in our midst this morning who do not have a relationship with you, do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that the Spirit of God would arrest their hearts and bring conviction and help them to realize their need to repent, put their faith and trust in thee as Lord and Savior from sin. We pray you have your will and you be glorified, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you know, we really, so often people look at serving God as a burden, something heavy to bear, something we have to do. That's not a right, a right way to look at things. In Deuteronomy 28, Moses, the lawgiver, told the children of Israel that all these curses are going to come upon you because you serve not the Lord thy God with joyfulness. For the abundance of all things. Did you ever stop and think of the abundance of things? If you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, did you ever stop and think of the abundance of things that he has given you and the value of those things? Nehemiah 8.10, there they had opened the word of God and preached and taught and gave understanding and the sense of the word. And they, people were weeping because they knew they had disobeyed the word of God. But, but they gave portions and they rejoiced in the goodness of God. And Nehemiah sent them away saying, the, Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We ought to rejoice in the privilege that we have to serve the Lord. As the Apostle Paul, who, under inspiration of the Spirit of God, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter, it's called one of the pastoral epistles. Titus was a man who traveled with him for a time, and he left to, to, to pastor a church and appoint elders and or pastors in cities. He starts out saying, Paul, a servant of God. A servant of God. Now, when we think of servant, we often think of 
slaves. That's kind of our, our connotation. The word servant here doesn't really mean that kind of, that how we would understand servant, but the word servant here one who means one who gives himself up wholly to another's will. You remember in the Old Testament, there's a picture of this. There were, you know, of course, the children of Israel were given instructions about servanthood or what we would call slavery. You know, if a man fell into difficulty or financial problems and he had to sell himself and, or borrow money, and, and so what he would do was he would go to an acquaintance or a friend or somebody else and say, can I serve you or can I be like your slave? For a number of years, and, and God said a number of years, it was to be seven years, he was to be a servant, a hired servant. So he put himself really in bondage to another fellow children of Israel uh, as a slave or as a servant for those number of years. At the end of that seven years, he was to be set free. Really, the idea was, look, during that seven years, it was like schooling, training him how to be successful. He wasn't successful, obviously, so he had to sell himself into bondage. How to be successful. At the end of the seven years, he's set free, unless he didn't want to go free. And if he didn't want to go free, if he liked his master, and he enjoyed being his servant, his master was to take him to the door and bore a hole through his ear with an awl, signifying that he was his servant forever. But it was not a servanthood of force. It was he willingly chose to be his master's servant for life. And this is really the picture here the Apostle Paul gives us of one who gives himself up wholly to another's will. It's used, it's used of those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. And this was the common designation the apostles and writers of the New Testament referred to themselves as. In Romans chapter 1, again, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. James, in James 1, says, James, a servant of God. Again, this is the idea of, I've given myself whole, up wholly to be the Lord's servant. A servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude 1 and verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. So they all refer to themselves as servants, as ones who wholly gave themselves up to service. And this was, again, a common designation. But as we think about the servanthood, and we're going to study this a little bit this morning, what it is, I want to notice, first of all, you know, we can learn a lot of things about things when we instruct you as to what it is not. This servanthood in the Bible is not, is not a slavery or a servanthood of bondage. And, and this, of course, in man's sinful world of ways and customs, slavery is a common thing. Now, many of us think that slavery went out with the Civil War. I hate to inform you that is not true. Slavery is very much alive in our world today, around the world. It is still common in our world. In a Prager University video, Candace Owens uh, 
in the video titled A Short History of Slavery. This was on August 23rd, 2021, and if you've not seen it, I would encourage you to, to look it up. It's, it's called A Short History of Slavery uh, by Candace Owens, Prager University. If you type that in and Google it, I, I'm sure it will come up. But I want to notice a couple of things that she said about slavery. And, and she said, and I'm quoting from the, there's, you can get the transcript of this also, from this transcript that she gave in this video. First of all, quote, slavery existed during the time of the Egyptians, ancient Egyptians, 5,000 years ago, as far back as we can go in human history, find slavery. You know, a lot of, a lot of the, 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 uh, the racism people today say, have, would like to have you believe that slavery began with the colonial America. You know, and our nation was built on slavery. Well, that's, that's a big lie, and she, she brings that out in this. But anyway, no, it began, it existed during the time of the Egyptians, probably farther back than that. But anyway, you know, the Israelites were, were slaves to Egypt. And she says, as far back as we can go in human history, we find slavery. As a renowned historian, John Steele Gordon notes, from time immemorial, quote, slaves were a major item of commerce, as much as a third of the population of the ancient world was enslaved, unquote. And, and so, you know, this was a common thing. And, and the other thing, one of the other things she says in that thing, is, that video is, the third thing that she says you need to know, uh, quote, if you think slavery is a relic of the past, you're wrong. There are some 700,000 slaves in Africa today, right now. That's the lowest estimate I could find. Other sources say there are many more. For context, that's almost twice as many slaves as were ever brought to the United States. Child soldiers, human trafficking, forced labor, these are the conditions that currently exist within the same sub-Saharan region where the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade originated. And African bodies are being sold today like they were sold then, and no, they are not being purchased by, by any country of white men. In fact, slavery, by any traditional definition, is exclusively practiced today within non-white countries. Now, in the traditional sense, that is true, unquote. However, there is still human trafficking right here in America, right here in North Carolina. North Carolina, out of the 50 states, is number nine in human trafficking. Number nine. For the states of highest human trafficking, according to online sources. Which is a nice name for slavery. People being abducted and put into slavery or being seduced into some form of slavery to gain, hopefully to gain something from someone. So it, it's common. I mean, it's part of human nature. Uh, <clears throat> but that is not what we're talking about in the Bible. Uh, slavery, as we think about it, in the scripture, the servanthood is not serving out of fear or extortion. You know, this is probably the most common means of human trafficking. This coercion is the, is the most common means of control. And again, if you, 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 you can Google that and see that for yourself. Uh, but the servant of Christ is not a slave by the world's standards. They are servants because they want to be. It is a service that comes from the heart of love for the Lord. 
You know, Paul's appointment or being chosen as a servant of God is something he did willingly or out of the desire of his own heart. In, for, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, 17, he says, For if I do this thing willingly, I have reward. But if against my will, dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. You know, service of a pastor is to be, is to be willingly. In 1 Peter 5, 2, Peter, who was a pastor or an elder, said, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. But willingly. For, uh, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You know, the Macedonian churches gave willingly of themselves. 2 Corinthians 8, 3 says, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. See, the Christian life is not a, oh, I have to do this. No, I get to. I want to. I want to serve my Lord. I want to serve my Lord. In 2 Corinthians 8.12, talking about giving. He says, For there be first a willing mind. It is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. You know, it is true, it is true, scripturally, that we have been redeemed. Well, the idea of be, we have been bought with a price, bought from the slavery, quote-unquote, of sin into the liberty of Christ. And, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says what? Know ye not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God. So we have been redeemed, but we've set, been set free or liberated by Christ. You know, sin is a slavery. It's a bondage. And we've, that, when we receive Christ, that bondage is broken. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so, but, the, but, but anyway, the, the deriving force of our faithfulness and of our service for our Lord is not coercion or fear. It's love. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Paul would write to the churches of Galatia, and he would say this, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Faith. So the driving forth of our faithfulness, of our service to the Lord, is, is love. It's not works. We're trying to earn our way to God. We've already been accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1 tells us, upon the merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we serve Him out of a heart of love. In Ephesians 6, and verses 6 and 7, He says, Not with eye service as men pleasers. That's the way the world does. You know, they, you, you want to make a good impression on people. You want, to, you want them to think good about you. That's, that's, that's eye service. But as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So, you know, the, you know we, the Lord isn't here 
physically watching us, although we know he, he knows. But, but the picture here is, look, we're not to do our service for the Lord. You know, Christians don't do their service to the Lord to, to be seen of men. They do it to the Lord who, whom they can't see, but only with the eye of faith, but they do it from the heart. Not something, oh, I have to do this so I look good or appear right. No. It's from the heart. It's from within. It, it's, it's, it's not external, from external pressure. It's simply an act of volition, of desire from within. It's not pressure. It, it, he says, of goodwill, with goodwill doing service. That, will, that word goodwill means with kindness and benevolence. There's a desire there. And so the, the servant of Christ is not a slave by the world standards, but, but he, he is one who is willing, a willing servant. And once you notice the third thing about this servanthood, the Lord's service is reasonable. It's reasonable. And we know that, you know, if you would study history and about slavery, and, and I'm not just talking about American slavery, slavery around the world, you know, a slavery's life, a slave's life could be taken. And so what? In fact, that's the way the women were treated in the old world. That's secondary citizens. You, know, you go to Muslim parts of the world to this day, and a woman really doesn't have rights. She's treated like a slave. That's not the way our Lord treats people. That's not how... Our service is to him. In fact, in most of his epistles with churches, Paul referred to himself as a servant, as did others, and never did any of them ever hint that their, their Lord was harsh, demanding, tyrannical, or difficult. No, they described it this way. Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body's living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, what? Reasonable service. See, our Lord's reasonable. He's reasonable. 1 John 5, 3 says that we're, of course, to keep his commandment. His commandments are not grievous. That, we, that means they're not burdensome. They're not hard to bear. You know, Matthew 11, he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Now, a yoke speaks of service. You know, you put something in a yoke, and they're, gonna, they're there to work. They're there to serve. But he says, Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. That speaks of a service or a yoke that's easy. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not an unreasonable taskmaker. In fact, James 1.5 tells us that he gives to liberally to those that ask him, and he upbraideth not. He doesn't chastise you excuse me for saying it this way, he doesn't chastise you for your stupidity or for my stupidity. 
for our lack of ignorance. That's really what that, the idea is there in that passage. If a man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. You know, the Bible describes our Lord as good and upright. Psalm 84, 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth is endureth to all generations. Psalm 145, 9, The Lord is good to all, and all His tender mercies are over all His works. Psalm 34, 8, David said, Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. That word blessed means happy. If you want to be happy, if you want to be content and satisfied with life, you need to trust in the Lord. Psalm 146, verse 5, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. You know, and that is our Lord, and we are privileged to serve him. You know, I, as well as you, have probably heard people say, or maybe we have said, I wish I could go back and change such and such. Young people, listen. If you forsake God, you're going to look back in life someday and say, I wish I could change. Because happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help. Many of us have, have said, I wish I could go back and change. You know, in this Bible, in history, records for us the sacrifice and suffering of great men and women of faith. But there's not one instance where you read the testimony of one of these in remorse or, or regret for their service for the Lord. Of them saying with pain and remorse, oh, I wish I had, I had never trusted the Lord. I wish I'd never served him. I wish I'd never known him. You'll never read that. I haven't met anybody that ever said that. But I have heard testimony of people who have said, I wish I had gotten saved when I was young. I wish I had served the Lord when I was young. I ruined my life. Most of my life, I ruined it. See, our Lord is a most gracious and loving Lord. He is the Lord. We are His servants. But here's another interesting thing. Though the apostles and writers of the New Testament referred to them as servants of the Lord, do you remember what the Lord Jesus called them? Brethren. Brethren. So we are chosen as servants. Second thing I see in this passage is we're classified as sent once. If you notice in verse 1 again, Paul, an apostle of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. That word elect just has the idea of chosen. 
and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. So, so we're classified as sent ones. Paul said, I'm an apostle. Now, the word apostle means, really means a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders. Now, we understand there were 12 apostles. There was a group that was identified as the 12 apostles, of which the apostle Paul was one. And they were handpicked by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and they, one of the qualifications was they had to have seen the risen Christ in bodily form. Again, Paul saw him on the road to Damascus. However, in the broader sense, the name is transferred to other eminent Christian teachers, as Barnabas, and perhaps also Timothy, and Savannah, or, or Silas. Um, and, and, you know, there's references made to that uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, however, whether we are apostles or not, and we know there are no apostles today, but we are, if we are children of God, we have been chosen with the privilege of being sent forth as witnesses of his goodness and mercy to lost souls. We're witnesses. We've been sent forth. So we have that privilege, that classification of being sent once. In John chapter 15, in verses 15 and 16, John 15, verse 15 and 16, Henceforth I call you not servants. Again, this is, the servant thing was something the disciples called themselves. It wasn't necessarily something Jesus called his disciples. He said, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So we're talking about eternal fruit, life, everlasting. And so we've been sent forth, we've been chosen and ordained. It is sent forth uh, to be witnesses unto him. In chapter 17, and verse uh, 13 to 21, again he says, And now come I to thee. And he's praying. This is a prayer of the Lord Jesus to, the, to his father before he's crucified. And these things I sp- speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So, so he says, as you have sent me into the world, now I am sending them into the world. And notice verse 21. That they, uh, no, let's, let's read verse 20 also. Neither pray I for these alone. So he's not praying just for the ones that was present when he was praying this. Notice. But for them which also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. Jesus prayed for us. We have believed through their word. And he says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You see, we are witnesses. We are chosen. We, we are classified as sent ones of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to demonstrate to the world that He is alive, that He is the Savior of the world, that the world may believe that the Father sent Him to be their Savior from sin. Of course, this, this prayer demonstrates the perpetuity of the Lord's churches and that He is he is not just for the disciples present, but those who would follow in the centuries come. You know, we have been, we have been commanded to be witnesses unto him, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And, of course, this commandment is, is found in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Mark 16, 15 to 18, Luke 24, 46 through 49, John 17, 18, we just read, and also in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We have been commissioned as ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Now then you are ambassadors for Christ. And we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have a compulsion. The love of Christ constraineth us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 tells us, Love of Christ constrains us. It compels us. It's that inward compulsion or drive. And we've also been given capability you might say well I'm not sure I can do that if God commanded you he also gives you the capability with which to do it Acts 1.8 says but ye shall receive power do you realize that was the same group of guys that at the crucifixion, crucifixion fled that the one who would stand up on the day of Pentecost and preached to the, those that just to crucify Christ and say, you have slain him, was the same guy that just a few days, 50 days earlier, denied he knew him. But Jesus said to them, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. You know, sometimes we just have this idea that Paul was just bold and daring. Do <laughs> you know what Paul said? Having obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great. It was the help of God that enabled him, that empowered him. As he stood before kings or servants, it didn't matter who it was. And so we've been classified as sent ones. And then thirdly, clarified, proud of my alliteration this morning, clarified or made or that has the idea to make clear, clarified to save some. Notice again verses 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So our purpose is clarified or made clear here. That is the preaching of the gospel that God's purpose may be made manifest in the world by us. See, God has a purpose for us being here. In John 17, when Jesus was praying that prayer, he, he said, I pray not that you take them out of the world. But thou wouldest keep them from the evil of the world. And then he said, even as you have sent me, so send I them into the world. And the purpose of sending us into the world is that to make him manifest to the world that some would be saved. 
we are His witnesses. The word preaching here is different than, 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 you know, sometimes the Bible uses the word prophesying, which means, has the idea of, we think of as preaching is what I'm doing this morning. But the word preaching here comes from a, a Greek word, kerugma, and Strong's defines it as a proclamation, especially of the gospel, by implication, the gospel itself, preaching. Or it's also defined as the announcement of salvation procured by Christ and to be had through him. Now, the other word the Bible uses is prophesy. You know, like uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, that fact, go over there. 1 Corinthians 4 and, and verses 1 through 4. And I'm making a distinction here for a purpose. 1 Corinthians 4 and verses 1 through 4. It says, follow after charity, desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. And we would, we would say that is preaching or teaching the word of God. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edify themselves. So all you're doing is puffing yourself up. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. So we're talking about preaching that teaching the word of God, and the word prophecy here means to break forth under sudden impulse in lofty discourse or in praise of the divine counsels or under the light prompting to teach, refute, reprove, admonish, comfort others. That's really what Bible preaching is supposed to do. It's supposed to teach. It's supposed to refute error. It's to reprove people of their sin it's to admonish them or encourage them to do what is right. It's to comfort the afflicted. That's what expanding the word of God does. And we see all that in Nehemiah chapters 9 and 10. Sunday school class. So, 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, Despite not prophesying. And you know, that is the idea of the speech of Christian teachers. Paul told Timothy, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given thee by prophecy. So prophecy refers to pastors teaching or expounding the word of God to the church for their evocation, their growth and understanding of God and their purpose in his service. But the word preaching that's used here in Titus chapter 1 verse 3 has the idea of simply evangelizing. Taking the gospel, preaching the gospel to lost sinners. That was Paul's. That was Paul's ministry. From the time he was sent forth out of Antioch in Acts chapter 13, he would go into cities where there were no churches. He didn't go to churches and preach week after week after week. No, he went into cities where there were no churches and, and go to a place where there was a gathering and start explaining the gospel. He was preaching. That's what Romans 10, 14 refers to. You know, we're to preach the gospel. In other words, we're to, we're to confront sinners and talk to them about their need of Christ, the Savior of the world. This word is translated eight times. It's always translated preaching and refers to particularly to God's people sharing the gospel with sinners in the world. After all, didn't the Lord tell his disciples to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel? 
Paul and Barnabas went into all the world. Uh, in Luke 14, verse 23, the Lord said unto thy servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be full. That you go out and preach the gospel. Romans 10, 14-15 talks about being sent out to preach the gospel. And so, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have an, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, I'm sorry, we have an example of this. After Saul's persecution and, and his, the, the, the uh, consenting to the death of Stephen, there was a great persecution against the church, which was Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judah, Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And they that went, therefore they that were scattered abroad, verse 4 says, went everywhere preaching the word. So this was the, and I don't like this term, this was the lay people. In other words, it wasn't the pastoral staff. This was the church people, the body of Christ, and everywhere they were went, or fleeing, uh, as they were fleeing from the persecutors at Jerusalem, everywhere they went, they told other people about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he died for their sin. If they would repent, put their faith and trust in him, they too could have eternal life. And so, you know, in every age, God had someone whom he had chosen for the purpose of making himself known to the world. In every age. First it was Adam. Then Enoch. Jude tells us Enoch, the seventh from Adam, preached to those in his day. When we have Noah, and then we had a calling out of a man, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and then Israel. You know, it was said of Israel in Isaiah 44, 8, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have I de- have declared it? Ye even are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. But ye are my witnesses. And since Christ, or since really Since Christ, it has been the Lord's churches that God has chosen. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Matthew 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do I light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. You know, we are candlesticks that are set on a hill, if you will, to give light in the dark valleys of the world. And he says in verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You see, God has chosen to manifest His Word. In other words, to have His Word made plain to the world through the preaching of His sent ones. And you and I have been chosen with that privilege to take the gospel message out into our 
everyday world. And as we rub shoulders with people we work with, people we come in contact with, we have opportunities to share the gospel. And as he uses the word here, to preach, to give the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so, we are privileged. We are privileged servants of the Lord. You know, we don't serve Him because we have to. We serve Him because we want to. It's a privilege. Are you serving the Lord? Have you realized that you are chosen to serve Him? To be a light unto the world of His sacrifice for our sin and the glory that shall be revealed in Him? We are His sent ones. Are you faithfully serving Him out of a heart of love for Him?